0: This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
1: Hello, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking with Dr. Sashida Jagadesh, a postdoctoral research in Zurich, Switzerland. We'll be discussing mapping global bushmeat activities to improve zoonotic spillover surveillance. Welcome, Dr. Jagadesh. Hello, Sarah, thank you for having me with you today. And we're so glad to have you. Your article is about mapping global bushmeat activities. What qualifies as bushmeat?
0: So, bushmeat or wild meat refers to meat from terrestrial wildlife species. So, they're species which are primarily hunted for human consumption as a primary source of animal protein, or they're used as a cash earning commodity.
1: What kind of animals are we talking about?
0: So, they're wild animals from the forest. So they could be uh, anywhere from antelopes, smaller mammals such as tiger-like species. They could also be larger animals, r- larger mammals. And the most commonly sold bushmeat animals include uh, grass cutter rats, bats, monkeys, or other primates, for example, and herbivores such as antelopes, etc. So, and they're primarily hunted only for human consumption. And that's why we term them as bushmeat, because they are that's the meat which comes from the bush or from the forest.
1: And what global regions are considered to have bushmeat? So
0: bushmeat is a term that is usually restricted to the meat exploited from tropical and subtropical forests. So that means that these regions, with regions which are covered under the biomes of tropical and subtropical forests include Africa, the Americas, of course, and Asia.
1: Why is North America not included? There's plenty of hunting here, deer, elk, moose, and so on.
0: This is certainly a very relevant question. So the hunting in North America is something we call as game hunting. So this is a hunting which is done primarily for leisure, and it is not for sustenance, or it's not used as a primary source of animal protein, or nor is it a cash-earning commodity. So studies in the early 2000s when they coined the word bushmeat, they restricted that to the meat hunted for human consumption in the tropics, and for better or for worse, we chose to stick with that definition in our study. To make sure that we were in the definition of bushmeat, we also excluded trophy hunting in the tropics, because the primary purpose of trophy hunting was not meant for human consumption. And this is not to say that the zoonotic disease risk in North America is negligible, because there is certainly a lot of zoonotic diseases which are transmitted from game hunting such as tick bone diseases such as Lyme disease but the risk of spillover is much less because it is leisure hunting is much less frequent and it's mostly seasonal and it is not equivalent to bushmeat hunting which is usually happens on a day-to-day basis where you have a constant exposure to wildlife and to the bodily fluids when butchering these animal carcasses, for the preparation of bushmeat.
1: What populations use bushmeat as a source of protein, as you mentioned?
0: So this is mainly restricted to the um, rural populations of Central and West Africa and to the Amazonian region of South America. So studies suggest that the rural bushmeat hunters in the Amazon they consume approximately around 60 kilograms of bushmeat per person per year, so that's around one kilogram per week for an entire year. While those in the Congo Basin who rely exclusively on bushmeat, their protein intake of bushmeat is also quite similar, around 50 kilograms per person per year. And in these regions, especially in West and Central Africa, during the dry season, the rivers and lakes dry up. So fishing is no longer an option as a source of animal protein. So the only form of protein comes from the wildlife, which is found in their backyard.
1: I understand that international markets and restaurants sell it. Why is there a market for this? There are
0: two major reasons for the profitability with bushmeat. One is the tea price, especially in urban centers. The price of the bushmeat is much cheaper than domestic proteins, so there's a lot more profitability in buying and selling uh, bushmeat proteins as an exotic meat. And especially there are populations who really like the gaminess or who enjoy the taste of bushmeat. So that's one of the reasons why there's a high urban demand for bushmeat as well. So this is not just common in Asia, but also in Africa and Latin America. and. In Asia, particularly in southern China, wild meat is highly sought after for its wild taste, and it is said to bring luck. Or it is also uh, uh, known to show affluence in the society for consuming uh, an exotic meat. And regarding international markets, the demand is especially high for among the expatriate populations. And even though the, a very small portion of harvest enters the international market. They sold at a much higher price in Europe, for example. Even though there are tons of bushmeat seized every year in European airports, there is still quite a bit which seems to get through. And as they sold at a much higher price, there's always the trade, which we always find that there is a constant trade of bushmeat through legal means by luggage, etc.
1: Is there a difference in disease spread between populations who depend on bushmeat because they need it as a food source, and where it's used for profit in markets and restaurants?
0: Well, this is a great question. So in rural regions, a majority of the bushmeat hunted as food is used to fulfill the household protein demand. Uh, Now, the bushmeat, which is sold for commercial purposes, they have a much larger population in urban areas, so and these urban areas are better connected. So we'd expect lowers in urban cities to spread faster and affect a larger population, as we've seen with the recent outbreaks. But this is not always the case, as we've seen with previous outbreaks, like the West African Ebola virus epidemic of 2013. This epidemic stemmed from a single zoonotic event, which occurred in a tiny village in the tri Country border of Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Guinea. And another problem with filler was rising from remote rural regions is that it is far more difficult for surveillance systems to detect an outbreak. So the spread is usually unchecked and they tend to spread unchecked for a longer amount of time till surveillance systems pick them up. In contrast to urban centers where surveillance and diagnostic systems are usually better in picking up outbreaks. Uh, By uh, symptomatology.
1: You mentioned Ebola. What are some of the health issues associated with consuming bushmeat? What are some of the more well known spillover diseases?
0: Of course, spillover is one of the major health concerns when we talk about bushmeat, but there are also other infections related to bushmeat which are usually associated with poor hygienic conditions while butchering the meat. So they could be diarrheal diseases as well. And also, lead poisoning is something which is associated with bushmeat because most of the bullets we use to contain lead to hunt bushmeat. And lead poisoning in communities who consume a large amounts of bushmeat is a health issue to be forgotten. And some of the well-known fellow diseases include, of course, Ebola virus disease, SARS, severe acute respiratory syndrome, and MSOC. I think these are quite well-known, especially in the recent years, and they are, have all been associated with bushmeat consumption.
1: Are these pathogens increasing, do you think?
0: Oh, yes, most definitely. So over the last, last couple of decades, we've seen over that 70% of the spillover events are zoonotic pathogens, and they are, have all been associated with wildlife species.
1: Why is it increasing? Do we know?
0: So there are several reasons for this increase in frequency. And the I think the first and foremost, of course, is the expansion of human activities into wildlife habitats, such as deforestation uh, for extensive agriculture or livestock rearing, urbanization, of course, bushmeat hunting. And this really increases our exposure to the wildlife that are usually reservoirs of novel pathogens. And the second of course, is climate change, because climate change leads to latitudinal shifts or displacement of wildlife towards human settlement or village settlements. This is because of drying rivers, and these mammals are tend to search for food sources elsewhere because their food sources in the forests are drying up. And uh, the third, of course, is biodiversity loss, and this is due to either deforestation or climate change, and biodiversity loss results in something known as the dilution effect. So this is a hypothesis, which is quite debated. But so basically what a dilution effect is, is that in areas where there's a variety of different small animal populations, including some populations that are not very efficient in transmitting disease, the risk of transmission of a particular disease from one species to people is usually less. Because there's always this one species which acts as a roadblock in the, the whole disease transmission process. This particular phenomenon has been established with smaller animal populations like the rats. So in South America, hunter-virus disease and rats is a very good example of this dilution effect. But this is not a universal phenomenon.
1: What are the challenges in preventing these spillover f- from bushmeat if it's increasing?
0: The major challenge with bushmeat is the fact that it is the only source of protein for months, and it is also the only source of income for many rural villages. So there have been tilapia farming and insects, which had been introduced as an alternative protein source and income source. They failed to be a viable business model because when a hunter hunts bushmeat for his family and his village, the excess meat is usually sold at a much higher price to urban city centers. So at the hunters level, the profitability from bushmeat is much higher because there are no production costs for bushmeat like tilapia farming or livestock raising. And so it's higher profits. And even if the production costs are elevated by incentives, etc., there is no niche in the urban market for the products from these rural regions such as livestock because they've already uh, the urban regions already have their own livestock and tilapia <laughs> so yeah so that's one of the major reasons why it's hard to stand bushmeat altogether
1: is this legal this hunting for bushmeat
0: it depends where it is where in which country We talk about, so in most places of Central and uh, West Africa, bushmeat is legal. There are markets, and they actually form a part of the country's economic background as well, because most of this bushmeat comes at no production cost. There's a high profitability. And what they've seen with banning bushmeat in these regions was that, so there have been bushmeat bans, especially after the Ebola outbreak in West Africa, so there have been bushmeat bans, so But the only problem was bushmeat was being traded under the table, and that led to further challenges with under-reporting, and it did not really stop the trade once and for all.
1: Since we know that spillover can lead to outbreaks like Ebola and possibly pandemics, what kinds of assessments were already in place to monitor this?
0: So currently there are three major forms of assessment. The first are the surveillance systems like the Global Health Security Agenda, WHO's Global Outbreak Alert and Response Network, and of course the more famous ProMed Mail. And these are basically global networks of national and international organizations, experts, public health institutions, and in case of ProMed, there are volunteer contributors who monitor and report these disease outbreaks in real time. So this is a passive form of surveillance. And then we have event-based surveillance, which involves monitoring of media reports, social media tweets, Facebook pages, and also other non-traditional sources of potential outbreaks. And finally, we have risk assessment through molecular analysis of potential disease hosts and reservoirs warriors for novel viruses by either sampling bats in areas at risk and this was done by the EcoHealth Alliance with their PREDICT-2 program. And this is a more active surveillance system, which is currently in place right now.
1: Kind of continuing with that thought, what prompted you to create your global bushmeat activities mapping? What was your goal?
0: It was mainly because nobody had done it, and it was frustrating for us to model zoonosis and slower without a synthesized bushmeat variable. And so other than the modeling aspect, the main goal was to geographically synthesize the distribution of bushmeat activities so that we could use it as a, an objective, quantitative basis for the allocation of resources for surveillance. So we have the numbers to prove that this is a problem and it is a problem where surveillance is needed. How did you
1: construct it?
0: So We reviewed existing research from the year 2000 to 2002 for geographical locations where bushmeat was either hunted, prepared, or sold. And then we had some environmental and demographic factors which we know influence bushmeat activities like deforestation, global connectivity between villages, cities, and towns, population density, variables like that. And then we modeled them on a presence or an absence of bushmeat basis all using spatial modeling, and so we constructed many models, we took the most robust model, and then we put them together and we created this map, which was the Global Distribution of Bushmeat Activities map. And to make sure that this map actually could predict zoonotic diseases in the future, we validated the map using the map as a variable in established zoonotic disease models. We used it with two other Ebola models to make sure that the map works.
1: What do your findings highlight? So our major findings were that, one, was that the area
0: calculated from the map that was associated with a high probability of bushmeat activities was equivalent to the Cephas area of the United Kingdom, which is quite large when we think about it. And the countries which were at the most risk were the countries in West and Central Africa because they had the largest proportion of land area associated with bushmeat activities and another very interesting thing about our findings was that there were a lot of areas where bushmeat activity was underreported. so we identified 100 sites uh, in priority in regions of uncertainty for future surveillance for bushmeat activities the majority of these sites uh, were found in latin and south america where currently we find that the bushmeat consumption in urban centers in these regions is on a rise And the third most important finding of our study was the deforestation was found to be one of the major drivers of bushmeat activities. And I guess this is given because logging roads provide access to deeper forests, meaning that there are more animals to hunt. And also these usually logging trucks can be used to transport the animal carcasses after hunting. So these are the three major findings of our research.
1: And who is your mapping available to? Who has access to it?
0: So, our map is publicly available, so it can be accessed from a GitHub repository. There is a link to the repository from the article, and it is also available uh, from our supplementary material.
1: How do you hope this mapping will be used?
0: From a disease modeling perspective, I think this map both a reasonably good resolution, and it can provide an added advantage in modeling and predicting emerging zoonosis at a global and local scale, because we tested this with Ebola models. And of course, we think that it will really help to strengthen global and local zoonosis surveillance systems, and uh, maybe to a lesser degree, it can also benefit wildlife conservation programs.
1: So overall, what are the public health benefits of your modeling and mapping? So
0: the modeling and mapping output could benefit targeted active surveillance of bushmeat and bushmeat-related zoonotic activities. And this targeted surveillance can be done by the existing local reference laboratories, which have been established by the World Organization from for Animal Health who
2: And
0: and it can also be used by global outbreak preparedness initiatives like the Global Health Security Agenda.
1: What kinds of future investigations need to be done on this topic?
0: This is something we kind of discussed earlier. The most important is to understand the the need for the urban demand or for bushmeat. So a lot of anthropological studies need to be done to find out why is there this urban demand and is there a way that it can be decreased and how can it be decreased because there have been several bands that have been ineffective in curbing and the selling and the demand for bushmeat and they really tend to push the consumers and the sellers for under the table trade and this has led to more uh, challenges in the monitoring of spillovers and also bushmeat trade.
1: Where do you work? What's your job and specialty area? And what do you like most about it? So I work at the
0: health geography and policy group at ETH in Zurich. And my job as a infectious disease epidemiologist uh, who specializes in spatial modeling and emerging infectious diseases. And what I like most about it is probably everything Especially in the current environment, it's there is a need for integrated research when it comes to prevention and control of emerging infections. So when I started off, I started off as a junior doctor in clinical infectious diseases and travel medicine. But with academic research I get to collaborate with not just fellow epidemiologists, but also with veterinarians, molecular biologists, policymakers, anthropologists. So I think it is a great environment to work in at the present with the outbreaks, the up-and-coming outbreaks.
1: And there seem to be plenty of them. Do you worry about the future and all the spillover? Well, I
0: don't worry about the spillovers because I know that they're inevitable, but I worry about the spillovers that turn into outbreaks. So I'm concerned that we're more reactive in response to outbreaks than preventive. The factors driving these filoviruses have been well established, but yet we wait for the outbreaks to happen. And I'm also worried that the political will is to prevent these outbreaks is restricted more to the research and development of therapeutic measures, which of course is very important. But there is also a need for steps to be taken for co- combating climate change, for establishing local surveillance pro uh, systems at, at risk areas, for the causes of below, lowest, it is bushmeat trade, deforestation, etc. And I think these small changes are equally and potentially even more important at current times.
1: Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your very interesting life to talk with me today, Dr. Jagadesh.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: And thanks for joining me out there. You can read the April 2023 article, Mapping Global Bushmeat Activities to Improve Zoonotic Spillover Surveillance by Using Geospatial Modeling, online at cdc.gov slash EID. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov
0: or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.